Well, good morning, familia. Can we just praise the Lord just one more time together? Can we just do that? Man, man, good morning again, familia. I, I just have a question on my mind that I just have to ask you guys. Like, whenever a man and a woman, when they marry each other, why is it that the woman always takes the last name of the man? Like, just think about it. Like, who was the person, who were the people that said, hey, we should do this. This is the tradition that we should start. And I ask that because isn't it a long process? Like, whenever you get married and the woman legally has to, like, do all of these things in order for her name to, like, be changed in all of these places. Like, I don't know, any of you married and had to go through those long processes, you probably remember those days. And I'm asking that because I'm like, it's not required by law. Like, like there's no law that says, hey, the woman has to change her last name to the man's last name. But she does it out of tradition, and, and that's a tradition that we've actually kept going in the United States. And so there's a, probably a lot of reasons why the woman does that. But here's, here's one I just want to mention. Here's maybe one motivation in which the woman might do that. Her context has changed. Her life context has changed. The context of her entire life has changed. The same thing with the man. His entire context has changed as well. Forever, for the rest of her life, she has promised to say, man, I will no longer live as a single woman. And the man says, man, I will no longer live as a single man. And so because her context has changed, well, she changes her name. She changes her last name to where together her and her husband can share the same last name and say, well, together with this unique and special covenant and promise, we walk together as one. One with the same name, one with the same heart and mind and spirit. And together we're going to embrace that our context has changed and that our name has changed as well. So we see this in this marriage relationship, and that's why I asked the question, because I'm like, you know, it's really interesting that it's a tradition that we keep going, that we keep on doing. But then at the same time, as we look at the Bible, we see God doing the same thing. We see that, that every time that God changes the context of a people, or God changes the context of a person, he changes their name. And so I just want to give you some examples that maybe you're familiar with. And so we have Abram, who God changes context and changes name to Abraham. And then we have the same thing with Sarai, changed the name to Sarah. And then we have the same thing where God changed the context of Jacob, and then he changed his name to Israel, which didn't just affect him as a person, but it affected the entire people of Israel, an entire generation and generation. And then we see that God changed the context of Saul. And when he changed Saul's context, he changed his name to Paul. We see the same thing with Simon to Peter. You see, there's actually so many examples in the Bible of God changing the context of a person or a people and then changing their name. We see this all throughout the Bible. And, and one of the things that I just want to just point to is that I think God has actually done that with you. God has actually done that with me. You see... Before I knew Jesus, I was an enemy of God. And then when I found Jesus, when Jesus made himself clear to me, he made me a child of God. He changed my context, and then he changed my name. I wasn't just an enemy anymore. I was a child of his. I found his grace, and, and he transformed me from prideful and just, just selfish to humble and dependent on him. He changed my context. He changed my name from, from scared to saved. 
from someone who, who maybe just was not a, a person of God or a people of God, but now I am a person of God, a people of God, because he changed my context, he changed my name. And you see, I think God has done that with us as well if we put our faith and trust in him. And then I think as I look at what God has been doing here in this place as a family, and I keep saying familia because I think it's fun, as friends, you see, God has actually changed our context as well. If we think about it, this place, this building that we are in right now, used to sit in a community that was majority English-speaking. It was an English-speaking context in which this building sat in. But then, as many of you know, or maybe this is the first time you hear this, but the context of this community has actually changed. And throughout time, it has changed from an English-speaking context to a bilingual context. And just to put in perspective, the bilingual context is 78% bilingual. This community right now is not 78% English-speaking only, or 78%, 78% English-speaking only. It is 78% bilingual. You see, God has, has changed our, our context, and we have to be aware of that. And what I just want to encourage us with is that we cannot and we will not shy away from the context that God has us in. You see, if he changes the context of a marriage relationship, if he changes the context between our relationship and him, I don't think it was a surprise to God that the context of this place changed. And so the context has changed, and and as we look at all of this, you see, I think a new context allows us to embrace a new name. Because a context change means a new name that has changed. And as we think about a new name, well, what if we were to embrace a name that clearly communicates to the community who we are, what we do, and why we do it? You see, when I think about a new name and embracing that new name, it's a new name that allows us to communicate to people who we are in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Allows us to go to a community and infiltrate a community to say, hey, you need Jesus more desperately than you need the next breath. You need Jesus more than you need the next meal. You need his grace, his restoration, his love, his kindness, his goodness. You need his transformative power. Man, you need, you need his presence. And so as we think about embracing a new name, Man, let's think about a name and embracing a name that will help us build trust in the community in, in such a way that they would look at us with trust instead of distrust. That we'd be able to embrace a community that will allow us to fully be in the community and for the community and filled by the community. A new name that helps us articulate that we are part of something that's way bigger than ourselves. Embracing a new name that maybe helps us connect with the soul of someone man, who is lost, helps us connect with the soul of someone who needs Jesus and, and transformation. And so, friends, familia, God has changed our context, and I think God is, has changed our name. You see, if you're new here, or maybe you've, you've been part of this church family for a long time, I know that this place used to be Calvary Baptist Church, and then about five years ago, it merged with First Baptist Church Owasso. And as that relationship has, has developed, we've kind of gone clear and clear every step of the way. And so what happened is that uh, two weeks ago, we, we presented some things to the church of saying, hey, 
what would you guys think about embracing the mission vision that drives us and then the mission look that defines us as a church? And so as we talked about that, we actually brought it to a vote and we said, man, this is where God is leading us. Man, you guys vote, you guys walk with us. Let's do this together. And so last Sunday at 2 p.m., our staff got together and we uh, looked at all the votes that were casted online and in person, and and we did all of that. And all those accumulated together was an 89% yes on embracing the mission that defines us, the look that defines us. And, And we united together with this mission logo and with this mission name. And so... I just want to make it kind of clear for us this morning is that this morning, which is so exciting, is the first morning that we gather together as the Mission Church. And so I just want to celebrate that together, if you will, with me, that we are the Mission Church. So we, take, so we gather together as the Mission Church this morning for the first time, but you have to remember, right, we're in a bilingual context. So we're not just in an English-only context. We're in a bilingual context. So we're not just the Mission Church. We are La Misión Iglesia. La Misión Iglesia. And so uh, we don't just go to the mission, but we live the mission, and we go on the mission, which what is that? What's the Great Commission? When we look at Matthew, it's just incredible to say that the mission is, is taking the, the message of Jesus, sharing the gospel with people, and making disciples who do the same, who know Jesus, who live with him, who share with him. And so just very simply, I just want to say, man, welcome to the mission. You know, welcome to the mission. And I'm going to take you back to that example of when a man and a, and a woman get married. It takes a little time. Let's just be honest, right? It takes a little time for people to get used to, oh, she changed her last name. Oh, they're married. It takes a little time. Am I right? All right? It takes a little bit of time. And sometimes it's a little awkward. And sometimes it's like, man, I just forget. But as we create social media, as we change our signage outside, inside, all kind of stuff, I think it's going to become easier and easier for us to make it a habit to say, you know what, we live the mission life together, and we're going to walk together, because God has changed our context, and he's, he's changed our name, and we're going to make it a habit, and, and I hope that as the time goes on, that you'll be able to walk around this community, you'll be able to talk with your friends and say, hey, I, I go to the mission church, because we are the mission, and we live the mission. And so this is just so exciting for us as, as a church. And, and this is not just for us uh, uh, in general as a congregation. But I want you to think about this. Aren't, aren't you grateful that God has changed your context? Aren't you grateful that God has, has changed your name from an enemy of God to a child of God? You see, because again, there was a time where, where I didn't know Jesus and then I found him. And, and really, he... He changed me and transformed me in such a way that he changed my life trajectory from eternal death to eternal life. And I'm just like, Lord, thank you for changing that context in me. And, uh, and here's what's really cool. That there will come a day where my context will change again. Where instead of worshiping Jesus on earth, man, I'm going to worship him fully without sin in heaven. And he will, he will change my context again, but man, he'll be the same God. And he'll change my context again, but I'll be worshiping the same living Savior. And because God has has changed my context, man, I I can walk. I can walk as a living testimony. 
a living testimony of God's grace, a living testimony of God's forgiveness, a living testimony of who God is. And so if God has changed your context, man, you're a walking testimony. And that's actually the title of the message this morning, is that the mission is a walking testimony. The mission is a walking testimony. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3 with me. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 14. And once you're there, let's go ahead and stand up together. And we're going to read verses 14 to 22. So I go ahead and start reading in verse, verse 14. It says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are a lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameless nakedness, nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You see, we are a walking testimony that God is looking to forgive if we are willing to repent. We are a walking testimony of what God has done. And, and when God changes our context, like I said before, he changes us from enemies of Christ to ambassadors for Christ. And so really the core value we're going to look at this, this morning is this, is that we live as ambassadors for Christ. That's just the main idea, the main value of our church, that our church values living as ambassadors for Christ. And you might be asking, Misael, what does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, here's kind of two things that we can kind of summarize it with. Living in as ambassador is this, is that we represent God in every single place that we're at. We represent him and who he is and what he has done. We represent the most important person in the world who's God himself. That's what an ambassador is, representing this most important person. And then the second thing is this, is that we are a spokesperson, or we speak on behalf of God. So we speak what God has, says, has said and said, okay, God has said this, so I'm, I'm going to speak on his behalf and tell you what God has said. And so an ambassador, yes, represents, but also speaks for and with the most important person in the world who is God himself. And so those are two summarizing statements that we can take about what an ambassador is. But what we're going to do this morning is just dive a little bit deeper of what it is to be an ambassador for Christ. And so as we look at this passage together, uh, verses 14 to 18, we actually see this, that ambassadors for Christ display God's value. 
that ambassadors for Christ display God's value. We see this in verses 14 to 18. And so as we look at this passage together, we see that this church of Laodicea, um, what they were doing was that they were valuing themselves more than they were valuing God. They were valuing their own riches, their own spirit, their own good doings, their own deeds, rather than valuing God and saying, man, it is more valuable to live a life with God than a life without God. But even though they were the church, they were kind of walking around and saying, no, it's more valuable to live without God. And so what God is saying is like, man, I I know your deeds. And this is the God of the amen, right? He's saying, man, these are the the words of the God of the amen, which really what this means is that it's the God of truth. The God of the amen means the God of truth. The God is faithful, who is a true witness. He is the ruler of all creation. That's what Jesus is saying, man, I am the amen, I'm the truth, I'm the life, the ruler of all creation. And what we see here is that this church is guilty of something. They're guilty of being self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. And so that's what they're doing. They're walking around saying, look at me, look at me, look at my good deeds, look what we're doing. Man, we don't really need God, but they're not being God-dependent. And Jesus is saying, because this is Jesus speaking, once again, he's saying, um, what, you're, what you're doing is not hidden from me. I know your deeds. I know exactly what you're doing. Everything is so me-centered rather than God-centered. And, and here's what sh- this should remind us of. Without faith, without God's grace, without a heart to worship the Lord, man, our deeds are useless. Our good deeds are so useless. And, and we see this by what Jesus says next. In order to kind of show them how their deeds are so useless, he has this water illustration, this hot and cold kind of water thing. And so in order to illustrate this a little bit, I'm going to put it in our context, okay? Um, And so I want you to think about this. What are the two best ways to drink tea or coffee? What are the two best ways to drink tea or coffee? I'm going to give you a quick side note. I had never drank sweet tea in my life until I was in high school. Okay, I'm Mexican, don't blame me, it just kind of happened. And so, you know, what's the best way to drink tea or coffee? Well, I'd probably say the first best way, or actually, I'm not going to say that, because then you might think the other one's the best way. So one of the best ways uh, to drink tea or coffee is cold, right? You drink a cold kind of tea, whether it's sweet tea or another kind of tea, you drink it cold, and when you drink it, you're like, oh, that's so refreshing. Oh, that is so nice. You know, you got the ice in there and the little cup, and you're like, man. That is just amazing. I feel like I can go about my day. I have some more energy. Okay, what's the second way? Hot. Okay? So, you know, imagine it's cold and you have have this hot tea or this hot coffee. And what do you do when, like, you grab a hot cup? You go, right? Because it's like, and then you start drinking it and you're like, oh, that's so soothing. That's so comforting. That's so nice. So the cold part is like refreshing and it's energizing. And then the hot part is like comforting and and soothing and and it's just so nice. But man, what is the worst way to drink coffee and tea? When it's been like sitting there for a little bit and it's like room temperature. And it's the kind of temperature that like when you drink it, you're like, you're like, I'm not taking another sip of that. You might even spit it out. And that's really what we see Jesus saying here. And then for some of you, you like, you know, chocolate milk. Well, cold chocolate milk is amazing. And hot chocolate, incredible. 
But man, you leave it there for a little bit and it's like room temperature chocolate milk or hot chocolate and you're like, ooh, same thing. You're like, oh. So in all of this, we see Jesus is saying, you are not refreshing to anybody. You're not being refreshing to the people around you. You're not being refreshing to the community. You're not energizing them with the gospel. You're also not being soothing or comforting to the people around you. You're not being soothing and comforting to the community or to each other. You guys are that room temperature kind of tea and water and milk that just makes me want to spit you out. And so he warns them. He's like, man, I'm about to spit you out. And what's, what's funny is that in the Greek, that whole phrase like spit you out is really vomit. So it's not just a, but it's a kind of like makes you gag and then vomit. He's saying what you're doing makes me want to vomit. And this should lead us to just remember that we are ambassadors for Christ, not ambassadors for ourselves or ambassadors for anyone else, but other than just Christ. And the church, man, the church should display God's value that it's much better to live with him than without him. They were to display how valuable it is and how rich we are when we have Jesus. You see, in verse 17, I just want you to look at it one more time with me. It says this, you say, I am rich. And then you keep reading down. And Jesus says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. And he keeps on going. Jesus is saying, man, you, you think you're rich, but you're not. You, you are, you're depending on all these materialistic things. And what you're saying is like, yeah, I don't need the spiritual richness. Yeah, I don't need the spiritual help. And what Jesus is telling them again, he's like, man, do you not understand what it means to be rich? Do you not comprehend what it really means to be rich? Because rich is, is subjective, meaning you're only rich when you compare yourself to someone else. Because to some people, yeah, we're rich, but to some people, we might be the poorest person that they know. And then if you just want to take that kind of comparison, man, if you compare everyone, everyone's wealth to God, everyone's poor. Because God's the one that has made the things we think that make us rich. <laughs> Like, he is the creator of those things. And so what this church is doing is really putting themselves in a dangerous spot. This church is putting themselves in such a spot that, that, that they're saying, man, we're okay, we're good. We, we, don't, we don't need you. We don't need you, God. And that is a dangerous, dangerous spot to live in. They were living in this moment where they were holding on to things that would soon fade to dust. And Jesus, this is, not the, this is not the first time he says something similar to this. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, you might want to write that down. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says something very similar. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And then verse 20 says this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't want you to miss this. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a treasure that you can have on earth that you can take to heaven with you. He says, store up the treasure you have here 
in heaven. And it just kind of makes you think. Think of, think of it with me. What is the treasure you can have now that you can take to heaven? What is that treasure? That is Jesus himself. That is the Lord, that because Jesus is our treasure, he is our reward, and nothing else can we take with us except for heaven, or except for Jesus into heaven. And what I love what some other people have said, we were, we were in our small group uh, this past week, and, and I love what somebody said. They said, man, that's so true. But you know what's also really cool is that because we're ambassadors for Christ and we can share the gospel with other people, man, maybe I can take this person with me. Maybe I can take this person with me as I just share the gospel. Man, maybe together Jesus can be our reward and we can be in heaven together. But then here's something that we are warned about in the scriptures and something I want to warn us about is that heaven is not a reward. Jesus is our reward. Heaven is the place that Jesus has prepared for us to be with him fully and without sin. And, and here's the reason I, I, I warn us with that. The reason I warn us with that is because I was looking at the census for 2020, like the 2020 census. And as I was looking at it, and I was looking at Tulsa, and I said, okay, how many people in Tulsa um, say or profess that they're Christians? So I'd be like, that's an interesting number. And so I, so I go and look, and I'm like, okay, and I find the number 70. And I was like, wow, 70% of people in Tulsa believe to be Christian, huh? But here's what I got to thinking. I bet you that these 70% are the kind of people that I would look at and say, hey, would you rather heaven or hell? And the 70% would probably say, oh, heaven. Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I, I want heaven, okay? But then I started to think, how many of these 70%, if I asked them the question, would you rather heaven or earth, would say heaven? Because, you know, we see so many Christians who are culturally Christian who are saying, yeah, I want heaven over hell, but man, I have it really good here on earth. And uh, if you give me the option of living eternally on earth or eternally in heaven, man, I might just choose earth, man. So I think that if I were to ask those 70, the number might actually decrease to 60 for those who would choose heaven over earth. But then it got me thinking, heaven is not the reward. Jesus is. So if I were to ask these 60%, hey, would you rather heaven or Jesus, what would they say? And I think that if we're asked those 60%, it might actually come down to 50%. That would say, man, I want Jesus way more than I want heaven. Because Jesus is our reward. Heaven is just the place that he has prepared. And so as ambassadors for Christ, man, yeah, we have a place in heaven. But we understand and we know that Jesus is our reward, that Jesus is our everything. And, I, and we just have to ask the question, right? How, how does that thought of Jesus over heaven, that thought of Jesus being our reward, how does that change the way we view the world? How does that change the way that we live as ambassadors for Christ? And maybe if you're someone in here who says, man, I don't know if I would choose Jesus over those things. I mean, today's a day to understand and know that, that Jesus wants a relationship with you in such an intentional way, such an intentional way that he came to this earth to die for you, in such an intentional way that says, man, I love you, and just, just come to me. Or in other words, he says, come to me to buy, to buy this gold, meaning come to me to find the treasure you've been looking for. And so we see that ambassadors for Christ display God's value. But here's the really cool part. 
that ambassadors for Christ display God's victory as well. That ambassadors for Christ display God's victory. You see, as ambassadors, we are a walking testimony of God's victory over sin, God's victory over sickness, God's love, God's immense power. And so then we see that as someone, as, as, as a creator, as a sustainer, as a savior, God loves us so much. Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You see, God loves us so much that he's willing to say, hey, you're not doing that right. You got to do it this way. He loves us so much to say, repent. He loves us so much to say, man, I'm going to discipline you in order for you to understand what you're doing. He loves us so much to not leave us the same way that we are. And so I hope to one day look back at my life and say, I am not the man I used to be to the point that I've become unrecognizable. That's what I hope to say one day. I'm looking back and like, man, I'm not the man I used to be to the point that I've become unrecognizable because I've looked at God's word and, and just as God said to this church, says, repent, be earnest and repent that I would do so as well. And then I just want to look at verse 20 with us real quick. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If, you want, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's really cool to see how God doesn't force himself on us. It's really cool to see how Jesus is using this imagery of like, hey, I'm present and I'm knocking. I'm not gonna like bust the door down, but I'm gonna knock. And not only do I wanna knock so you repent, but I wanna knock so I can come into your life, into your house and intentionally like sit with you and have a relationship with you and listen to you, speak to you, walk with you. And so it's so amazing to see all of this that Jesus has so much value and he's, and he's just telling us, he's like, man, for all of you who have ears to hear, man, listen to these words that I wanna be so intentional with you. And so the big application for all of us this morning, I've said it several times, but I just want you to write it down, is that here's the encouragement. You are a walking testimony. You are a walking testimony. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're an ambassador for Christ, you are a walking testimony. And just don't forget that God has breathed life into you. He has breathed life into your spirit. He has breathed life into your lungs. He has breathed life into you in such a way that you are transformed, that you have everything that you need in Jesus. You have everything that you need to be a walking testimony. And he has made you with a purpose. And, and all the things that have happened in your life were for a purpose, to glorify him. Because you are a walking testimony of God's story and how God's story has transformed your story. That your story was going one way and then, and then he transformed it to go another way. And do not forget that people need to hear your story. People need to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, the interesting, the, the highs, the lows, all of these moments, because there's just nothing more beautiful than sharing your story with somebody, that person listening and saying, wow, I see that your life is way more valuable with God than without it, and I don't have God right now, and so I need, I need what you have. 
And so you are a walking testimony. And as people who are a walking testimony, here's just kind of the mission challenge for us. The challenge I just want to give to you guys, if, if we are really going to be the mission church, La Misión Iglesia, we don't just go to the mission, we live the mission. But here's my encouragement, my challenge. This week, let's go on a workplace mission trip. Let's go on a school mission trip. Let's go on a street mission trip. Let's go on a family mission trip. For we understand what Jesus is saying of saying, man, I'm supposed to be hot or I'm supposed to be cold. I'm supposed to be refreshing or I'm supposed to be uh, soothing. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into my workplace, into my school, into my family, into my friends and all these places of my life and understand, man, I'm supposed to be an ambassador for Christ in these moments. And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God will give me an opportunity to share my story with them because my story really reflects God's story. And it's because of God's story that I have a story because without Jesus, I am nothing, absolutely nothing. So that's my encouragement to you. Let's go on a workplace mission trip. And, and I just want to remind you just as we end, I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Here's what it says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so who are we going to be telling that to? Who are we going to be sharing that with? And so in this moment, I just want to pray for us and just pray for you as we just continue to, to process and reflect and respond to the Lord. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us enough to tell us when we're doing something wrong or when we need to be corrected. But also thank you that you're so gracious and merciful that you're saying, hey, I'm at the door knocking. And what I want you to do is, I want you to know that I'm willing to forgive if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to open the door. Lord, right now I just, I pray for us as a church that you, Lord, would remind us that we are a walking testimony of all of that you've done and all of who you are. And Lord, as we remember that we are a walking testimony, I pray, Lord, I pray earnestly that we be ambassadors for Christ who display your value and display your victory in our workplace, in school, our family, our friends. Lord, we love you, we praise you. You've created us to worship you. God, thank you that a change of a context that does not surprise you. So help us, Lord, walk in this new context. Help us walk in this new name. Lord, help us to be united, to walk hand in hand, and, and just be excited for the clarity. Be excited for what you can do in us and through us and beyond us. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.